How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy, you go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I talk to Astrid, who is a registered dietitian and nutritionist, and she's helped hundreds of people transform the relationship with not only their bodies, but also food. She's also a coach at Team BioLane, which is Lane Norton's company, who focus on helping people develop their physique and athletic performance. Astrid herself believes in taking a holistic approach to health and wellness, considering factors such as lifestyle, mindset, and physical activity when designing personalized programs for clients. And you'll see us dig into how important that is and why it's so important. With her dedication and commitment, she's been able to share amazing information across social media and has grown her Instagram following to over 110,000 now, which makes her a well-known and respected figure in the nutrition and dietetics community. Today, we dig into her background, which lays the foundation to why she's so passionate about various subjects such as emotional eating and individualizing your nutritional programming client by client. It was a really, really valuable chat, which I think you'll really enjoy. As a reminder, guys, just like Astrid and uh, Team BioLane, at Revive Stronger, we're also online coaches, helping people maybe take the stage for the first time, or maybe it's uh, multiple times and they want to improve their stage performance. Maybe they want to do a photo shoot. Maybe you're just wanting to gain muscle, lose fat and feel better. This is all goals and outcomes that we at Revive Stronger help people with, with our online coaching, which I just want to remind you about. We're very passionate about helping people one-on-one and providing really good quality information where the individual on the other side understands exactly what they're doing and why they get a bit of an education along the way too. So if you're interested in that sort of experience, then definitely look in our bio where our coaching is always linked. But without further ado, let's get into the chat with Astrid. Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm here with Astrid and we're going to dig straight into things here, Astrid. We're going to talk about uh, something that I learned recently about you was that you work at a hospital. And I mean, I always like really admire people that work within healthcare and within that industry and space because I mean, people need people like you to be doing that. And I think it's mostly a very selfless driven career path for a lot of people. So along with like what you do that a lot of people see over on your social media and through maybe BioLane, what are you doing in the hospital? How are you helping people? I am a registered dietitian that works in a private hospital in a rehab setting and slash mental health. So I do a little bit of both things as there's like a combination of patients coming for the section of the rehab, and mostly they are elderly patients or patients that have gone through a hip replacement or they had a fall and they just gotten to a point that they're so deconditioned that they go to the hospital to get some physiotherapy and some exercise and slowly getting them to a much better place and they can be independent back at home. There's a general, generally, elderly population, whereas the other section of the hospital is a mental health ward and that is that treats different type of conditions that are related to depression, anxiety, um, alcoholism, it could be bipolar disorder, some of those mild mental health conditions that are not that not requiring that much attention or that much like psychiatry treatment or like the dangerous conditions where people can be at high risk of experiencing or doing something weird. Now, these two sections, uh, this this one on mental health is a little bit more of a younger population. You can get like 18, 19 year old people all the, all the way to 90s. Like you can get a wide range of like age, whereas you'll you'll find it in rehab. It's going to be more patients that are at a high risk of malnutrition, patients that are more likely to just be 
had high degree of not having a great appetite. They usually don't have issues with like eating disorders or like there's none of that. It's actually the opposite. You have to force them or like convince them to eat. Like I wish I had that ex that that soul that didn't have didn't experience any hunger, but <laughs> I'm not in that camp. And there's the other the other area that you will just deal with different situations. So as you know, for those who experience anxiety, mental health disorders, depression, you can go either extreme with eating behaviors. So you might go all the way to have no appetite or just not even prioritize your nutrition to all the way to just rely on eat, eating and food to cope. And that's where there's a lot of people that struggle with binge eating disorder. It could be more like a stress eating, relying on food to just feel better. So this is a bit of a two extremes, and that's what I do in hospital for the most part. It's a 25-hour, yeah, 24-hour part-time job that I do every week in the hospital. And on the side, I work on my um, online coaching with Team BioLane. I've been doing that for almost three years now, and I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, I was going to ask how much time do you put towards being in the hospital versus like your online coaching side of things because like it's it's hard to manage like both, especially as we're talking off air, you've got a lot of projects going on on this like one side, I guess. Has any part of you been tempted to kind of leave the hospital side and just go fully onto online or is there part of you that's like, hey, actually I get a lot of just like personal growth and just good feels from being in the hospital. I wouldn't want to ever give that up. It is a really good question because I've I've thought about it. I could just go online and just do everything that I do with uh, Team BioLane and my social media. That fills me up a lot in terms of like professionally and everything that I am so passionate about. The only thing that has kept me in the hospital has been mostly the extra challenge that I get at the level of the clinical nutrition that I would probably get that much, that much exposure with the online clients. For example, I do see a lot of malnutrition. Sometimes I get patients that are way more complex than just not wanting to eat. They have ileostomies and they need a peg or like there's so many things that I like to be challenged and just kind of be updated as a clinical dietitian. So there is an area of me that likes going to the hospital, but there's been part of me that says like, hey, you could just have more time for yourself. If you went all online, you don't have to drive back and forth. You could make much more money if you were just thinking about it return on on investment and the, the amount of time you put into the hospital way way better if you just did online but i am thinking about it this maybe at some point in time i may move completely online because it's something that will give me more time if i decide for example to have kids or just needing more time to do something that will allow me to produce more more money at, at the end of the day when when you think about the time you spend going back and forth i recently moved and i i'm a bit further away from the hospital so it takes me probably ex an extra 40 minutes back and forth on top of what i used to take before to go into the hospital so that is time that i could just be doing other things so it's just kind of balancing what is worth right now maybe when I get closer to decide, well, I just want to grow my family, I want to be pregnant, I might step off, away from the hospital and just decide, look, everything needs to go online. And I could. I could decide if I wanted to to do, make that, that call. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it reminds me of, I think a lot of people get into online coaching and they maybe haven't even been a one-on-one -on -one PT before. 
But if you have been, you get a lot of skill from having that one-on-one, taking people through workouts. You don't have to have it. It's not a prerequisite, I would say. You can be successful without that. But there's something to staying in the gym and kind of being with people that's just like, it gives you skill sets that then you can take into the online space. And as you were talking me through the work you were doing in the hospital, that sounds like skill sets that maybe are an extreme, but it's kind of like working with bodybuilders, taking them to stage and getting to extreme levels of body fat. You just like dial it back a bit for your more kind of general fat loss clients. It's similar. It sounds like it's probably similar in your case. Yeah. And honestly, the other aspect is that sometimes is the opposite way. The things that I do online, I practice them in the hospital. So I'm more like a unconventional dietitian that is in the hospital and when I get referred by a patient my approach is so different compared to other dietitians when I get referred by a patient that needs education on weight loss because they are overweight and they have issues in their hips or in their knees and they have to lose weight my approach is so different because I'm just not doing a normal diet in history and what is your medical history? Okay, you have to eat less and move more. Like that's not the way I approach it. I ask emotional eating. What is what is the biggest thing that is affecting you to try to lose weight in this stage? And sort of like trying to give them actual and practical things that they can do in the real life once they get discharged from the hospital which is completely different from what I see in the actual practice of other dietitians, that they will just print out a resource that you can get online. And yeah, this is just a plate, you know, you have to eat a little bit less, portion control, eat more protein and yeah, exercise. Okay, great. How, How practical is that for someone that likely there's nothing, nothing to do with it. There's probably that there's the more the emotional eating aspect, or they have no clue how to make it more practical for them in terms of what else can I eat that is not this. If I get referred by a patient that has type two diabetes, they always get told the same things. This is the list of carbohydrates you shouldn't be eating, and these ones are the ones that you should be eating. Go and have fun. <laughs> it's like I, it's a different approach. So I think it's worked the other way around. I think there's are skill sets that I am taking from the hospital all the way across to my online practice. But on the other hand, the things that I am doing in the online space gets completely taken into the hospital setting and is putting a different angle and a different approach to the normal traditional nutrition approach. So it's interesting because when I hear the patients giving me that feedback, like, oh, I've never been given such a practical advice. First time in my life I've spoken to a dietitian that is not telling me that I have to do this or I have to do that. Like, I love, like, they ask me if I do, like private practice or like I can take them with them like no in hospital I can't do that but it's it's to the point that you feel like you're doing the right thing and you're putting something out there in the hospital that hasn't been practiced as often as other dietitians should so I feel like I'm a bit of a a rebel or as I said maybe an unconventional dietitian Yeah, for sure. No, that sounds really good. Uh, And it actually makes me think about, unfortunately, a probably large chunk of the online coaching space where it's like very cookie cutter, follow this plan, they just print you off like a PDF and you follow this workout for like, don't know, months on end. They don't put themselves in your shoes. They don't have empathy for your situation. They don't ask questions about what's going on and why you have certain goals and why you're struggling for certain things. And I love that you have that approach because like, I, I feel very similarly in how I approach kind of online coaching with my people where I'm like, hey, I need to put myself in their shoes because I can't expect them to eat, I don't know, four meals a day if they're 
unable to kind of get those in or what have you, or uh, I imagine there's even coaches that don't even know their clients' preferences in terms of, hey, are they vegetarian? Are they vegan? Like what's here? Um, Or like you said, emotional eating, which is something we're definitely going to dig into. But before we do, a question I wanted to ask you, Astrid, is a bit about your background. What led you down the path to become a registered dietitian versus like other career opportunities? What, What kind of got you interested initially in that? I started my fitness journey when I was 12 years old. And as as weird as it sounds, it was probably from me expecting or just feeling like at 12 years old, feeling like I was eating the world, I was doing everything right, and I wasn't. So just walking on the street, 12-year-old girl, just get just used to hearing compliments from people. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so pretty. Someone randomly said, oh, you're so pretty, but so fat. Like, that didn't sound right in my head. And that just made me somehow seek for, okay, something is wrong with me. And I have, haven't probably noticed it or seen it. So that sort of just changed me in terms of, okay, I just think I need to start being more reflective into what I'm putting, what I'm eating, what I'm doing with my lifestyle. And I was 12 years old. I was was not probably ready at that age to have heard that and act straight into, okay, I'm going to go into a gym and start doing classes. And that got me into exercise and lifting. And somehow when I was 15 years old, I decided to become a group fitness teacher. So I was teaching a step class, fit combat, uh, kickboxing. I was doing all these group fitness classes that you can ever imagine. I did all the certifications you can ever imagine, yoga, pilates, steps, kickboxing. I did everything. So I was prepared to teach whatever class ever and that was kind of like the first thing I started doing and at 15 years old I was teaching classes I was already a, a, an instructor and then I got in love with just eating better looking better and I started noticing that around me there were personal trainers and instructors that had clients and they were giving away and giving them to their clients diet and it was the same I met someone that was giving the exact same diet to every person that they were working with I'm like this is strange because how can this man that is six foot and is probably 150 kilos can eat exactly the same that this lady that is probably 5'3 and weighs 68 kilos like I can't I can't figure this out but something is not right and so it's kind of started bringing me some few questions of like is this the right way to do things should we do something a bit more individualized maybe this person needs a bit more nutrition a bit more calories like so I did have I had no idea I had no clue what nutrition was at that at, at that age in terms of what calories were but something wasn't feeding in my brain. So I started digging a little bit deeper into nutrition. I started reading, reading a little bit more and even before I end finished college before university I did a thesis on metabolism, like not all metabolisms are credit equal. Obviously, I didn't know what what I was saying, but kind of like it was on the right track in terms of like not every person is going to respond the same to the same diet because we're not the same. We're different in terms of age, genetics, physical activity, lifestyles. There's so many things that define each person that this there's definitely something else that you need to know about a person before just giving them a meal plan if you want to lose weight or gain weight or understand even what the goal is. So at that point in time, I had been a bit more familiarized with resistance training and I decided to do 
my extra certification on, well, I need, I want to be a personal trainer and actually do resistance training. So I did that as well. And I was completely immersed in fitness and teaching and everything and decided, look, I feel like I want to be a, a doctor. I don't know where that came from. So I started prepping for the internal exam in the university for medicine. And like a few months before, it's like, okay, next month is going to be the exam that you have to present for being admitted to the medical school. And one day before I say, look, I am not going to present this exam because I realize that I faint when I see blood. <laughs> I'm not going to be a very good doctor if I continue this pattern that every time I see blood, I just, I freeze or faint, one of both. So I said, maybe I should do physiotherapy which is related to fitness and rehab, strength training. But then I see, I, I kind of reviewed the pensum or like the curriculum and it was, there was physics. I'm like, oh, I'm not passionate about physics. So I said, look, my average and like my GPA allows me to go into nutrition. That was my third option. And I said, well, look, I'm going to do nutrition and ended up entering in the nutrition school. And I did successfully my, my complete bachelor, bachelor degree in nutrition. And I actually graduated as first in my class amongst all the students because I was just in love, in love with, with nutrition. And from there, I did a little bit of private practice and mostly workshops and everything around fitness and trying to educate personal trainers and the general population about the basics of nutrition, what was right, what was wrong, some myth busting, few basic things. And I was like 18 years old, 20, and then I moved to Australia. So when I came to Australia, I did my master's degree in nutrition and dietetic practice. So that's where I actually started learning much more about behavior change and that it wasn't always about you prescribe a meal plan. It was way beyond that and understanding that the client is going to respond better if you work with them as a team. Like you can negotiate and work with them as to why do they want to change? What, why is it important to them to change? And that's just kind of digging and learning a little bit more about why and how it's best to approach the work that you do with your clients. So from there, I basically think is when I started doing on pushing my 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 approach more towards that emotional psychological aspect of nutrition that doesn't seem to be understood as much as the things that we normally learn in school or like in in your bachelor's degree you learn of organic nutrition you learn biochemistry you learn how to write meal plans you like you, you understand more about human nutrition anatomy physiology phys pathophysiology you learn everything but what about the actual human behavior? That at the end of the day, you can have the perfect plan, you can have the perfect training program, but if that doesn't resonate, doesn't align with the person's need or the person's lifestyle or thinking pattern, behaviors, it's not gonna work. They not, they're not gonna adhere to the plan. So that's where I kind of got into a bit more, and now is mostly what I, my what I emphasize the more the most when I work with my clients and try to understand what lets them to be successful when you put a plan in place. Thank you for that background. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I always find it interesting to hear how someone 
gets into it. And normally there's something when they're younger that just like sparks them in that direction. And I like hearing also the background because it's not like you just immediately knew this is the direction you wanted to go in. You tried a bunch of different things before stumbling upon what you eventually did, which might like for me, uh, I wish I'd stumbled a bit sooner, but I went to university and did like a degree that was just completely not associated with w what I do now, which I don't regret because I mean, part of what happened at university is what led me in this direction in the first place. But uh, yeah, I think some people think that they need to know exactly what they want to do from the get go. Whereas like it took you a bit of time to eventually find what you were super passionate about. And uh, I think it is an area that isn't super well understood when people think about like obesity. And like, I think a lot of people have that just very much like limited view where it's like, hey, eat less, move more. And they just remove any kind of emotional aspect or individual difference aspect between people. And I think this may be uh, hearing your kind of background here is going to answer this next question for me. But something I found interesting, I know, something I don't know if you've ever talked about is the kind of um, Instagram handle that you have is anti-diet dietitian, which is quite a, like IG handle when you think about it. Um, so I'd love to hear like what specifically is what, what's that targeted at? What's the anti-diet approach to you? Like, are you anti-fat loss or is it anti-certain aspects that you see uh, kind of within that space? I was very inclined to say that when I created that handle, I was in a transition in my life where I was struggling with, with bulimia and some difficult challenges with my em emotional behaviors and and my relationship with food was not in a good place and I wanted to learn how to detach calorie deficit and body image as being the biggest driver on my choices because 99% of the day was always about food like my day was just surrounded by planning around what I what I'm going to eat when I'm going to eat if I have to travel, it was a drama because it was completely a disruption of my routine. It was an obsession with exercise. I needed to exercise six or seven days a week to feel like I was doing something. And if I didn't do exercise, I would feel like something was not right in my life. Like there was a huge obsession about exercise, calories, I had this dichotomy thinking good and bad food. So if I would eat, I had eliminated all these treats and the soul foods because I thought if I eat sugar or if I eat carbohydrates, I am going to get fat. And it was so powerful what I had ingrained in my, in my life that eating, I don't know, Nutella or a cookie or something already was creating a physiological response that I felt like I already had gained fat in my thighs, like automatically, like instantly. The first moment I had a bite, there was an instant feeling of, fuck, I'm, I'm fat. And it was like a complete battle with myself, knowing that I, you're a dietitian. And you know that you shouldn't be doing and going through this. So it was a comp like a, a battle back and forth of you know your shit, but you can't implement it on yourself. And you're dealing with this eating disorder and you feel like if you're not this fit, you're not going to be accepted or respected because you are a sports dietitian, you're in the fitness industry. If you gain fat, Who's going to believe you? Like there was so many things coming at me. So that was when I came to Australia. I was, I had to start from zero. Like no one knew what about me. I had, I was no one compared to all everything I had to leave behind when I, I moved. I was a very well-known dietitian and personal trainer back, back home. So imagine just leaving everything behind and completely being no one in a country that is two days flying from from the from your other place no Spanish speaking country no one spoke Spanish and ha I had a bit of English but I was not fluent as I am now potentially so it was one extra thing that I had to do 
learn how to communicate because I could speak English in my mind that you would say, shit, she speaks really great. And it was like a huge amount of conversations in my brain, but what I was going to speak, forget it. <laughs> my, my tongue would get troubled. I would just not be able to communicate and that was frustrating. So I felt like thought from every angle you could see. So that was a, that, the period where I said, I, this has to change because the way that I'm doing this is coming from a external motivation or external acceptance. And that's probably coming from my childhood, maybe, because I, I, am, I, was, I am an only child and I always wanted to be like make my mom proud and be always a good girl. So it was coming from that, from that behind background that I wanted to be always accepted. And that fear of rejection perhaps led me even more to be that scared of what if I am not fitting in into what I am supposed to be. I am, I have become this dietitian, knowing you're potentially an expert in fitness and nutrition, you can't, you ha your body has to reflect what you're actually doing. So I was kind of in that transition where I wanted to detach from dieting, detach from being obsessed about nutrition and calories and always that dichotomy thinking. I had lost my period for three years on top of that. So you can imagine that there were so many angles that like I am not healthy. So I started sort of like trying to explore what if I just allow myself to eat something that I have for, forgotten completely and I have prohibited myself from having for years. Like you could have asked me, have you eaten pizza? And I you could say probably not in 10 years or um, Macca's, McDonald's, like, I have no idea what that is. So that would be to the extreme that I gotten that I wouldn't eat any of the things that you could consider. It's fine if you do it once every now and then, if you want to, or enjoy going out without fully obsessing about not having control over everything, or just traveling and not necessarily needing to exercise every day because it's just part of the experience, those things. So that anti-diet dietitian was initially, I, I made it non-diet dietitian because I wanted to be more like, I want to move into that more body positive. But then I started getting more into that world of the other side that was no non-diet approach and everything. but. It kind of got me thinking, not everyone needs to be that extreme either, because there are people that need, need, need and want to lose weight and look better. And that doesn't mean they have to completely obsess about like calories or counting, tracking calories are bad or like, you know, these two extremes of, or you either anti-diet or you uh, pro-diet. Like, no, I'm kind of, I really want to be neutral. So then I started looking at how many people fail with fat loss and what makes people be into these extremes. And is that just crash dieting, just not knowing what the true approach, the sustainable approach is. So it kind of started translating into actually anti-diet dietitian could mean it's more targeted to, I don't want people to crash diet. I want people to do the sustainable approach that allows them to get to the, the, the best version of themselves and learn how to maintain it. Because there's no problem losing weight necessarily is what happens once you finish your diet. There's no plan, there's no, no idea what 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 happens now, and so then people go back to their behaviors and their old life, 
because they finished their diet, because they saw things that they, they just saw that as a diet, as just like calorie deficit, let's suffer, let's take the weight off. And then once I achieve my weight, it's done. But no, what happens after you have lost that weight is what matters the most. But in order to, to do that, you want to learn that in that period where while you're losing weight, you want to know and learn the skills that you're going to implement once you finish and you reach your weight goal. Okay, I still need to use self-restraint. I still need to be mindful about my choices. I still want to exercise and keep my my active lifestyle somehow to to maintain my weight where I am or even improve it by gaining more muscle. So you still do the same behaviors and the same habits, but now in a better in a better physical state. And then you continue doing that for the rest of your life. It's not just a diet. So that's where I became that anti-diet dietitian is don't crush diet. Use a sustainable approach that's going to work for you, that's going to su successfully make you be adherent and it's going to allow you to keep your dream body or your dream physique or your dream state for the rest of your life, not just for a period of time. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change, sign up today and let's revive stronger. Yeah, I really like that. And I like that explanation of, well, thinking about the extremes because yeah, when you do see the complete anti-diet kind of camp where they are at that kind of full extreme. And then, I don't know, I think of someone like just like out and out full extreme bodybuilders who have no sense of normal population at all and how people act and they're just robots. It's like, hey, like in the middle ground here somewhere, you need to kind of pick a bit from each because like there are people that can like follow macros and like do all of that. And I'd probably be in that camp most of the time. And it doesn't stress me. It's totally like my life and I'm committed to it. But I've got much better now at times doing like you described there where in the past I would have been stressed out going to a restaurant and eating something that maybe they didn't even have the nutritional information online and I have to like eyeball stuff or even not worry about tracking it. Whereas now I'm at a point where I can use this kind of dimmer switch analogy where it's like, hey, at times I need to be on like near to shows or something in a diet phase, I can be more on it. But at times where I need to be fully almost off, like a holiday or a wedding where it's just like, hey, there's just so much food here. There's no point trying to like do all this mental math in my head. Let's just eat in a sensible manner, enjoy myself, switch off. Once I've got to that place, and I think that's where most people want to be, it's like you can, food doesn't control you. You kind of manage food to like enjoy your life and your goals. And I think that's kind of where you're getting to where it's like, that can look very different for different people, but don't try and avoid like one extreme to the other. Otherwise you might get a bit lost with what you're trying to do. I agree. And I like using that analogy of, uh, and using the stages of learning as part of what you can implement where you do something that at when, let's say tracking, tracking is, at, at the beginning, you don't know anything about nutrition. You don't know everything, anything about food, but tracking or just learning about what is in your food is like the first stage. And it's like you have to go at hand with these types of approaches to get you a bit more knowledgeable about, okay, this is what protein is. This is what carbohydrates is. And, and, and 
what are carbohydrates and where do you find carbohydrates? What do, where do you find fats and protein and fiber? Then this is like the first stage. Then you move to a second stage where you are more someone who is a little bit more knowledgeable about that. So you don't have to think too much about it, but you are now trying to implement it more in a within your life though. Okay, now that I am, I know more about it, I don't have to think too much about it, but I still have to implement it and have be more thoughtful about where I should put this, these things, how should I target and organize my meals. And then just to the point where you don't necessarily need to track all the time to be on point. And you're more proficient about just, okay, I know what feels right. I know what doesn't feel as right. And I know that I can allow certain things and I am going to be okay. To a point that you become so proficient and you know about your food, you know about your body, and you have achieved that healthy mindset where you can find a happy balance. So it is slowly transitioning. And I wish I had learned that when I was struggling and I was in a dark place. But I think just when I learned about flexible dieting for the first time I heard about that term, it makes so much sense that it could be a happy place not necessarily if it fits your macros type thing where you just neglect completely the quality of your nutrition and just pay attention to your macros. But more so, you can think about life being 80-20. Like 80% of your nutrition could be just the right type of foods that are going to feel fine, are going to nourish your body. But it's okay to have that extra 20% that gives you memories, gives you happiness. And it's not going to ruin your physique if you can't be consistent with that 80-20 for the rest of your life. Like you still apply that for the same for your fitness. 80% of the time you are on to your training, onto your steps. But it's okay if in that extra 20% you are located for days off, rest, easy workouts, things that are just allocating and giving you that happy balance between the two things. And same happens with everything else. I suppose that it's just finding that you want to do 80% of your life being concentrated and focused on what you want to achieve and become. And that extra 20% is going to give you that extra flexibility to don't burn out, to don't just feel like you're going to, you have to be 100% perfect, which is the other point that I learned. You don't need to be perfect to get to where you need to be. You could be consistent and maybe just do a little bit less, but keep doing and keep showing up and avoid that point that you're so tired and burnt out that you just give it all to give it all up altogether. So I came up with this idea of instead of all or nothing, switch it off and change it for all or something. So it's okay to sometimes do everything as you're meant to be doing, but rather than just switching off if you can't do it or if you're not feeling like doing it or if you're just tired, do something. And that switch has made such a huge impact, not just in my the way I do things nowadays with my fitness, my nutrition, everything, but also for my clients. Like I said, just stop thinking that these dichotomous, whether you have to do everything right or you don't do anything at all. If you can't do anything at all because you just can't control it, you're away, you have to travel, you have your kids, this is just a bad day, what is the next best right thing you can do? And that could be just, trying to show up to the gym for 10 minutes. That's probably better than just not do anything at all. Or look, just do your daily steps and maybe you show up to the gym tomorrow. So it's just finding that, that compassion through your journey that allows you to be 
in a much better place and not be so harsh on yourself as well. I think that phrase phrasing of all or something is seriously powerful. Like I've never heard anyone talk about it like that. Everyone's heard of all or nothing, but it is, and that's kind of what flexible dieting part of it was too. It's like, Hey, if you slightly kind of don't stick to your diet that one day, like get back to it the next, don't try and like try and modify everything to make up for kind of the quote unquote damage that you've done, because then that just sends you in this kind of uh, like swing pendulum swing of like up and down. Uh, and I really like that all or something like what's the next best thing you can do in this situation. So if I was to put it to like, a, again, if I, similar to you, you probably did things like this Astrid back in when you were younger, where I was like, I was like all or nothing. It was like that. Mm-hmm. And I would take like my Tupperware to my cousins to eat my like whatever it was, chicken, rice and broccoli because I wouldn't eat the food that was there. And it's like I didn't need to do that at that time what I could have done is just like made mindful decisions and choices of the foods that they had available. That was very similar to the meal that I'd missed out on. It's like little things like that. Whereas I think a lot of people unfortunately have that like all or nothing mentality and that does lead to burnout. And I think, I don't know if you've worked with many people who have come from like competitive physique sports, which is like a large, some of the listeners and uh, coaches who listen to this or people that want to get into that. But have you worked with them who they have been that like all or nothing and they've been burnt by the sport? Have you seen that happen and how have you helped yeah. them? Yeah, I, I actually have worked with quite a few competitors. And one thing that you mentioned is that stress and that fear and anxiety they feel when they are in this mindset of competitive season or even after they have competed but they want to maintain roughly an stable physique that doesn't get them to be to gain too much body fat or go to the other extreme either and it's, it's when they can't control going out or events or it takes it out of routine especially because you know that competitors have been more robotic and they like the routine we, we like to be sort of like isolated and have control over everything if we can same happens and i get the point where i have a very very interesting serious conversation about i want you to think when you have to be present into a social event or something that is completely out of your control or your routine reflect on what is the main outcome you want out of that event or situation? What is the main goal? Why are you going or why were you invited? Why are you heading and what is the point of being there? So is it because it is a professional meeting? Like I I need to be there because my colleagues are gonna be there. It's something that is just meant to build my professional relationships. Is it because I want to experiment and build memories with loved ones if the situation is that it has nothing to do with food because my goal is to be present in an environment of colleagues and is about professionalism and just intellectual kind of exchanges is it food the the main thing that you have to focus on Probably not. So if it's not going to be the main experience, plan ahead. Eat at home. Don't go hungry. You can still have and enjoy a few little things here and there, but that is not going to be the outcome. So you don't need to start desperately eating things or tasting stuff here and there or just the the goal is not eat. The goal is professional exchanges or intellectual exchanges or on the other hand, it's about making memories. I actually want to enjoy this because I want to spend time with my kids. I want to spend time with my family. Is it still the outcome experience, the taste and the flavor of food? It's part of it, but it's not the main goal. So again, if you feel anxious about not knowing what you're gonna be encountering in the place, what is gonna be happening in that situation, Go prepare and don't go starving so you don't have to rely on your hunger because hunger can be very, very dangerous when you're really, really hungry. So it's it's like you don't give a fuck to 
who is there, what is happening. You just need to satiate a basic need, which is hunger. So if you plan for managing that and you go to that place, having that pretty much satiated, you can still be a little bit peckish. Obviously, you want to try things here and there, but it's not the main focus. So it's just taking such a huge burden on your physiological, that, I don't know, that physiological need to, 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 to feel better, that you will be able to put all your senses in what you actually want to accomplish out of going to that situation. And same happens when is the goal actually eating and enjoying the food? then fuck yeah, I, I'm just going to go hungry because I want to eat, I want to enjoy. Sometimes that's the goal. So it is, it's been very powerful when I place into, into their mind these, this reflection. So what do you want to get out of that situation? And that has been a game changer for so many people and clients because they are now able to identify Yes, I want to spend time with my kids. I want to spend time with my, my wife. The food is there as part of like, this is what is putting on uh, making, uniting us together to celebrate all the environments that we are, are surrounded by. That is not the main experience. So if you're able to answer the question, what is what you want to get out of that event or that social gathering, you can get much more out of what you're gonna do and have much better control over your hunger, your cravings, and be really happy because you were able to manage that in a much better situation. I think that makes a lot of sense, like really focusing on what you're trying to get out of the thing. And often it isn't the food, but people end up focusing so much on that. I think, like you said, having that discussion with yourself beforehand you can set yourself up for more success going into it it makes me think of again uh, a lot of bodybuilders having cheat meals and things like this where they're like they restrain themselves so much throughout the year or i don't know the week and they need their weekly cheat meal whereas this flexible dieting approach that's more 80 20 you kind of enjoy a little bit of what you fancy on a more regular basis but you can actually where that bodybuilder might look at you and be like oh i'm 100 percent like most of the time and they're like well like I'm more balanced most of the time. They probably actually are less stressed. They don't yo-yo as much. And in these sort of situations, if you have a more flexible approach and less restrained approach, like you enjoy, enjoy those events more. And yeah, something I just talk to my clients about these things is either before or after it's like, hey, what's the, like, is it worth it to you? Like, is it worth just switching off and enjoying that event? And the next day, maybe you'll have be a bit heavier, but in the long run, it won't be a big deal. Or actually is the goal short-term coming or, the food there the thing isn't worth it to you to overindulge like kind of plan ahead of what you want your actions to be at the time same with like drinking like do you want to go into that event and really get smashed and like enjoy the hell out of it that party or do you just want to go and like actually have barely have anything kind of plan ahead otherwise you just kind of follow what's going on and your acute emotions in that uh, period of time versus yeah going in with a plan i think that's essentially what you're kind of talking about which i think is super valuable for people yeah, and in addition to that, I'd say is also thinking whether whatever you choose after after you are in that place, you're negotiating with yourself as to what makes most sense, what is worth to me, where I am now in terms of my goals, and if I do this, is am I gonna feel good after, and I'm going to be okay with these choices. Sometimes like if you're in a birthday party or something and you had a bit of a cake, after that you said, actually it was worth it. I really wanted to enjoy it and I don't feel guilt about it. But if I did it because I was just so desperate because it's been completely forbidding in my life that I couldn't ever have a piece of cake anymore and I just ate it and I sort of started feeling like I needed more and you end up eating a bit more and a bit more and you don't switch off or don't think how am I going to feel after making these decisions 
then you start regretting and feel guilt and start self-loading. And, and that's where things become a little bit unhealthy. And that goes in the vicious cycle of feeling guilty. Then you punish yourself the day after you try to cut calories or try to compensate or exercise more. And that's when it becomes a little bit more unhealthy. So if you're able to have more interceptive awareness, more, much more proprioception and understanding what is going on and being able to on the spot have a talk with yourself and be more aware of your choices now what do you want how or how do you want to feel after after that meal and tomorrow and what is going to make sense along with what you want to accomplish long term and that will give you much more perspective so things can be easier when it comes to making the right decisions. I think that makes so much sense, especially taking that moment before you make an action just to be like, hey, don't just like make this short term like decision, like think two steps ahead of after you've made that decision. Is that the right move for you? I think that's really powerful. And um, obviously you work closely with um, Lane Norton, BioLane, um, the brand, and like that's, he used to, well, he's a, used to be a competitive bodybuilder, maybe a step on stage again. Um, and obviously I, I guess they coach those sort of people. And I imagine you're doing things hopefully similar to what we're doing at Revive Stronger, quite different to kind of the general kind of physique and bodybuilding world. Is there anything you see kind of out there or any practices that you're doing you wish would be kind of more broadly accepted? Uh, is there anything you see the kind of bodybuilding physique world doing with their diets that you think could be managed so much better? I think we are transitioning to a better place where there is a little bit more awareness of that happy medium happy balance that you don't have to necessarily be 100 percent extreme with your diet and black or white or just eating rice broccoli and chicken to achieve the physics you need or the physics you're wanting to achieve so i'm happy to see that that is improving that is moving to a much better place and there is still people out there doing old school and being very all or nothing and very rigid with their diet and their approaches. But I think it is it is getting better. And same when it comes to training approaches and like the combination of how much time do you need to give yourself to be ready for a show or to be in a much better place physically. Because it's again, it's not just about, we're not just, robots that just follow a meal plan and that's it we are human beings and there's like an emotional component that has to be taken into account when it comes to thinking about what can happen if we go to extreme and being again if you're going to become or you want to become a competitor is being really aware of where you're at with your dieting history with your relationship with food and whether you are going to be in the right place that is going to take you or maintain you with a healthy relationship with your body, with yourself, or with your food after you compete or in, in while you're preparing to get there. And it's not going to make it worse because one of the things I am probably very self-aware with myself is that I remember I haven't ever competed, but I remember being so obsessed about my physique because I I really liked to look that lean and to be to see my my abs and everything that it become a little bit dangerous if I'm honest like it become like that's what led me to be very obsessed about eating certain foods and and it, it became a bit of a dark place because I was not ready. Now that I'm in a better place, I know a bit more about what is what is true, what isn't true, what is a better approach to do things. I could be okay getting myself into that now. But if I would have done that eight, seven years ago, I would have gone to a very dark place because it would have gone back to the same Astrid that had eating disorder years and years ago. I would have 
still allowed myself to to uh, vomit and to restrict myself i would have taken medications or like uh, food uh, things that allow you to not absorb nutrients just to be malnourished i would have done that or pay the price if i needed to so isn't it wasn't the right the right place to be so that's where i am coming from now like if you decide that you want to take the route of working on bodybuilding or prepping for a show knowing yourself more in terms of where you're at right now in terms of your relationship with yourself your relationship with food your relationship with your body and whether you're doing you want to do that for what reason are you doing that because you want to become a better version of yourself or is it more because you want to look the best you ever you have ever looked and is it something that is truly going to drive adequate behaviors once you achieve that or is it going to make it worse if that makes sense yeah i think so i think it's that sense of as a coach taking on a competitor kind of screening them well like understanding where they're at kind of what their history is kind of are they in a good healthy space to get into things what is their why asking them that and getting them also clued up in like do they actually know what the body does when you take it to extreme levels of body fat do they know as a female they might lose their menstrual cycle and how that is something that we need to manage and try and recover asap also talking about the recovery phase as well something that i i don't think is probably widespread uh, at least i see it sometimes where coaches like they beat their client into the ground get them shredded for stage great but then post show they leave them in the dust and this person then like is burnt out from the sport they put on loads of weight and then they're in this horrible cycle of like hey they want to diet because they've put on this fat but they're not in a healthy position to do so and that that burning off like burning out clients like that way uh, it's yeah it's scary i see that sort of thing happen it sounds like that many of the things yeah. you talked about like elongating the prep talking to them communicating a bit more clearly all sounds like really good things yeah. to be doing yeah and i think it is it is just looking at are you are you in a healthy place and not just so much as a coach but you personally as someone that it may not be necessarily contest prep it may be that you just you want to lose a bit more fat, uh, but you, you're kind of already in a good place, but you just want to be leaner or sh more shredded. And what does it take to get there? Is it worth it? Is it going to make it different from what is now? Are you going to be, is your life going to be better or is it going to be worse? Are you still going to be happy or happy with yourself, even if you were if you're miserable now, are you going to be happy later on or are you still going to feel shit? Because it's nothing to do with your, with your actual physical body. It's your perception and your body image. It's like, I will still feel shit. And in a um, fat and that body dysmorphia, you'll have it now and you'll have it once, once you lose 10 kilos. Like you will still be in the same place. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, people looking at people on stage and smiling and shredded and they're like, oh, if I just do that, that's what will make me complete and happy. It's like, no, you've got deeper mm -hmm. things to work on in yourself before you get there. Uh, Astrid, this has been a fantastic chat. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. I might have to drag you back on to talk a bit more about emotional eating and strategies people can use to help them get out of that and get back to maybe this more middle ground approach. Uh, but if people want to learn more about you, your work, where should they head? Head to my profile in Instagram. That's where I have most information and I put content every day, daily. I, I have a little bit of a project that I'm going to be working on in the next few months. Uh, I am partnering with Bling Health Fitness Institute and I'm going to be writing a bit of a guidebook on everything related to nutrition and emotional eating, body image, Every, like all the aspects of that psychological point related to nutrition, more a bit beyond 
calories, macros, everything that we kind of already know. But what is the aspect of that human aspect that we need to complement to make uh, a person fully complete in the sense when they are going to embark a fitness journey, everything that needs to be part of that journey is just is the fitness, is the nutrition, is the mental and psychological well-being of that person. So it's like that extra component that um, I'm going to be building and I'm working on. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I think from our discussion here today, I think that'll be really valuable kind of putting the human back into the, like the robot in some way. Uh, so I think people will be interested in that. So I'll make sure that uh, your Instagram's linked below. I guess uh, if you have a link to that uh, project, we can link that or make it available uh, over at your Instagram. I'm sure it will be kind of publicized there. And I just want to say a massive thank you for your time and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I am appreciating you having me here. Um, anytime, just let me know. And I'm really happy to come again and have a chat about emotional eating. And I think that would be amazing. So thank you for so sure. much for the opportunity. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it. And we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You will receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicut movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.